0: For the next hour, you'll be leaving the Show Me State and entering the Show Me the Money State. So stop what you're doing, grab a pen, and get ready to learn, people. Because you're tuned to the Ozarks' number one show about your money. Randy Floyd, founder of Floyd Financial Group, will be your guide for straight talk about living the life you deserve in retirement. If you're interested in protecting and growing what you have and collecting a steady income stream for life, you've come to the right place. Prepare to be empowered. The phone lines are always open at 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526. Now, here's your Show Me the Money host, Randy Floyd. Good morning, and
1: welcome to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd, the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name is Jeff Shade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions, but the words of wisdom and solid advice, of course, come from Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. Randy, how are you doing this morning? Very well, Jeff. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. Jake, how are you doing? Doing great, Jeff. Thanks for asking. You're certainly welcome. Hope our listeners are doing well today too, Randy and Jake. And you know, we had Memorial Day weekend here just recently. It's not the official, but it is the unofficial start of summer. So that means things are going to be heating up here, not only in terms of the weather, but there's a lot of stuff to talk about that's going to be heating up in the world and in the economy. So we're going to tackle that right off the bat as we normally do. And I understand there's been a little panic buying going on in the market. So let's start there. What's going on in the markets? this week.
2: So as we've talked about in recent weeks, Jeff, there's a very few stocks kind of leading the market right now and they're carrying the market. There's literally like seven stocks, the Apple, Amazon, NVIDIA, Netflix, Google, that group of stocks is really responsible for like 80% of the growth for the year. And if we look throughout history, how that's played out, when you have that situation before, it's usually very short-lived and it's followed by a pretty good decline. And so we're a little bit leery of this market here. And while we own some of these companies and have been doing pretty good, we're just concerned that a lot of these stocks are being panic-bought, meaning there's a lot of hedge funds and a lot of institutional money managers that are at least have been offsides, meaning... They are short the market or they don't own as much stock as they probably should. And so as the market starts to trend higher, especially in these names that are carrying the market, they feel like they're going to miss out. So they panic buy because they have what's called FOMO, right? right? Fear of missing out FOMO. So, what they do is they just start panic buying, and we see these runs. Uh, Broadcom had had a huge run last week. Uh, NVIDIA, you know, if you look at a chart of NVIDIA, it was $108. I think it was on October 13th of last year, and, you know, it hit four hundred $420, $430, something like that last week. You know, it's just completely wild. You know, the excitement around AI is what's supposedly driving it, but what I really think is driving it is these huge money managers. Yeah. Twenty billion to fifty billion dollar money managers—they're getting their clocks cleaned because they are not invested the way they need to be, and so they're running these stocks up more. And again, historically, that has been a recipe for disaster.
3: I would really not like to have been uh, Kathy Wood of the Ark Fund this last week
2: when she sold Nvidia just prior, and it went boom. <laughs> yeah. So, ouch. Yeah, and again, I've said before, I have a lot of respect for Kathy Wood, so I don't want to I don't want to bash on her too bad, but she said she's had a rough couple of years. But again, you know, her mandate is super high risk, five year time horizon. And even at the level she's at now, she's still on the last five years, she's averaged like 20 something percent return. So, you know, she definitely knows what she's doing. She's just super high risk. So for our clients, it's not a great fit for them, especially as you're getting close to uh, retirement, that kind of thing. I do definitely pay attention to what she's doing, though, because as interest rates start to turn and the cycle of the market starts to turn, you know, what she's doing is a very good barometer for a sentiment and just the overall. Flow of money.
3: There's a couple other things we should throw out here, right quick, Jake, too. Is, you know, right now a lot of people are saying, okay, so if the market is really thin, you know, what's carrying it is really thin, when does this start to translate back into? The other parts of the market, you know, probably not financials anytime soon, but, you know, or staples discretionary. Mm -hmm. I will tell you this, if there's any indication by the traffic flowing south to Branson as to discretionary, I think it was a good, (laughs) good weekend.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. There was traffic everywhere, even on Friday morning, Thursday night before Memorial Day. There was there was lots and lots of traffic just everywhere. I think we know that people are running out of discretionary funds you know the banks are saying hey you know Mm -hmm. june is going to be where people really start to hit the wall there's a lot of people running out of credit and things like that so it's going to be it's going to be interesting to see we know that airlines are charging record rates and still can't have enough planes flying in the air they're Mm -hmm. full again it's one of those times when you look at stocks in general right you always hear the old adage you want to buy low and sell high That's real easy to say, it's much harder to do, but if you look at what market tops look like, it looks like a great day to invest. Everything's going peachy. You know, the airlines are full. Bugatti just made a new $10 million car. Wow. Picassos are hitting records. People record flow for Memorial Day weekend vacation. Those all sound like reasons you would want to invest. The problem is, is, from a market standpoint, many, many times what happens is when you see all those things going that way, that means everybody who is going to invest is probably already invested. And so when you see the calm that's when you really want to be concerned when you want to really start getting invested is when things are really kind of falling apart and so the more people question whether this is the next bull market the less likely that that probably is
1: what else is going on in the economy let's talk about the housing market here that seems to be something that we haven't talked about in a while and it seems to be something that has stayed quiet until recently what's going on there
2: I think real fast too, Jeff, to your previous comment about art. So art is similar to Bitcoin or to gold, right? In the fact that it doesn't produce anything by itself. I think a lot of people want to invest in gold because they think it's safe. You know, the price of gold over the last 40 years has been much, much, much more volatile than the broad stock market. Gold from a value standpoint is incredibly volatile and i think you know the art world is the same way so i think that gold has been pitched through TV advertisements as the ultimate safety play. But I would say that if you're in retirement and you need income, that could be a stretch that gold could be something you want in there because it doesn't produce income. You have to sell it every time you want to have some income, right? right. If you, if all you have is gold. And so you have this dynamic where you're also getting charged commissions every time you sell. And so, you know, to those listening, I'm not saying that gold is bad. If you already have gold, that's fine. I don't know that I would be rushing in to buy gold at $2,000 an ounce Stuff. No. Back to your housing question. Yeah, I think that you know, the housing market is feeling the weight of these interest rates, you know, and the average person's credit score where it is and how much they're having to pay for mortgages now we're also you know i don't know about you jeff but i just recently got an increase on my mortgage payment because my valuation of my property went up and so my insurance went up and taxes went up and so all that's just creating more and more stacking unaffordability and I think that that's likely to have pretty serious repercussions. In fact, we saw last week where Michael Burry, and some of you may recognize that name, he's the guy that the movie The Big Short was made about. He's the guy that predicted the housing market crisis in 2008 and invented a way to short the housing market through credit default swaps. And so, basically, he is now sounding the alarm again, saying, hey, we got a big problem in housing, and it's likely going to end poorly. So, we'll see. You know, Michael Burry certainly does not have 100% accuracy in his in his uh, predictions. But I would say that one place where he was dead right was housing last time. And so we'll uh, see what he, how it looks this time.
3: Well, and really, Jake, the setup is perfect right now. We got high interest rates, we got high prices, we got high taxes, and we got people running out of money. And then we had Lowe's and Home Depot both come out and say, hey, we're cutting guidance for the rest of the year.
2: And we're immediately following, arguably, maybe certainly in the last hundred years, one of the biggest housing run ups over a two oh, yeah. or three year period ever. Yeah. You know, so like the, the stage is certainly set. And I didn't mean to cut you off there, Rand. No, no, you're fine. I agree 100%. Now, again, here we
3: are. We're getting a little dismal, dark, and dank here in our conversation. We want people to know that we will come through this. This is just another market cycle based on a lot of events that we wouldn't have planned, including COVID-19 back over our shoulder, what, three
2: years ago? Now, isn't that weird Uh, Right. (laughs) that it's that far back? Uh I think it's really an opportunity. It is. Um, And I think that that's how we look at this. And like you said, Randy, I think people that don't know us may think that we're being very pessimistic. It's really more that if we have a 20 or 25% decline in housing, that's a massive opportunity on a number of levels. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what we're looking for is we want to protect for now. We're liking getting paid to wait. We got money markets paying north of five. And whenever things start to go south, we're going to be looking to capitalize on, on the weakness and there'll be a lot of money to be made. Hey, and
3: money markets may go to six. I was listening yeah. to one of the, the yeah. former U.S. Treasury guy mm-hmm. this couple of days ago and he was saying he's thinking six may be the terminal rate. And I'll tell you what, I'll take six and wait until we have a good opportunity oh, yeah. to get back in.
2: Yeah. The longer we go with this spending, and the more stubborn people are to spend and continue to spend and not take the hint, the more likely it is that the Fed will be forced to break the system to fix it. And I think it's pretty clear that the average person has no intention of stopping spending until they absolutely have to. Wow. Yeah. uh, Until they they physically can't spend Mm. anymore. And I think that may kick the can down the road a few months, but I mean, ultimately, people will run out of money at some point. And when they do, if they start running out of money, running out of credit at the same time mm-hmm. that they're potentially getting laid off work and things like that as interest rates get high. You know, it could create a fairly grim scenario. Again, though, if it gets bad, you know, we're going to be looking at what to buy when it's on sale, Right. you know, real estate, but also, you know, stocks and and things like that. So I think there's going to be massive, massive opportunity. We just have to make sure that we're prudent in not taking too much risk now, but we also have to be ready to start to take some risk when the world kind of seems like it's on fire.
1: Well, that's a very good point. I think it was Warren Buffett who said that, uh, you know, certainly you want to buy when there's blood running in the streets. Now, there's not blood running in the streets necessarily. Now, there are lots of pros. There are some cons there. But as you said, having a plan and certainly protecting yourself in terms of risk is very important. But also, you want to be ready so that when those opportunities do present themselves, that you are ready to take advantage of a good deal. It all comes down to having a proper plan that balances the risk, but at the same time, looks for those opportunities. And I think that's one of the real advantages of Floyd Financial Group for our listeners is to consider that if you're looking to have a plan that's not only going to get you through these hard times, but also have a little cash on the side so that when opportunities do present themselves, that you can take advantage of those opportunities and those opportunities are well vetted. You should get in and talk with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group about your individual situation. Certainly as every week we're offering our loyal listeners an opportunity to sit down with Randy and Jake, ask your questions and get the answers that are going to get you on the road to retirement, a retirement in which you not only survive, but you also thrive. There's no cost. There is no obligation for this retirement roadmap. To get yours, call 417-889-7233. 417-889-7233 is the number to call. Don't wait. You can also get it online by going to floydfinancialgroup.com and requesting it there. It's floydfinancialgroup.com. You're listening to Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about financial security. What does it actually mean for you? All that and more when our show continues here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield comes to talk. Do you currently have money invested in mutual funds? Are you
3: aware of the potential hidden fees you could be paying? This is Randy Floyd here, founder of the Floyd Financial Group, where we know that after a lifetime of hard work, it's important to make sure that your nest egg is protected from hidden fees. Call Floyd Financial Group today for a complimentary consultation and fee analysis to uncover what hidden fees you may be paying. The number is 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526. Or visit us online at floydfinancialgroup.com.
0: Ready to climb a mountain of financial know-how? Good. Because it's time for more Show Me the Money with your financial Sherpa, Randy Floyd. Welcome back, everybody. This is Randy and Jake. You're listening to
3: Show Me The Money. And in this segment, we're going to be talking about financial security. What does that actually mean?
1: Yeah. And a lot of people want financial security. I don't blame people for that, but I think it really comes down to, and we'll talk about this, maybe risk tolerance and how much risk tolerance that you can stand. I mean, financial security for me is one thing, but financial security for somebody else is an entirely different thing because they have a much, much lower risk tolerance. So when people come in to you, and they say, Randy and Jake, I just want to be financially secure. What does that mean to the average person listening today? What does financial security really mean?
3: Yeah, I think, Jeff, for most people, uh, they've been working, you know, 30, 40, maybe sometimes 50 years, and they've always had an income that came in the door based on them performing so many movements per week for so many hours, right? Right. And using their brain and their processes to get that done. And now, all of a sudden, they're coming in, and they're kind of like, okay, so when I stop working, where does my paycheck come from? And how do you guys derive that? And am I going to be financially secure? So what people are really looking for is, hey, where's my money going to come from? now that I'm in retirement and I'm not working and how secure is that and how can you assure me that I'm not going to run
1: out of money? And I think financial security really comes down to the freedom to make choices without being hindered by financial constraints that really allow for peaceful sleep, as I said, and knowing that the future is secured. So financial security, I would think, is different things for different people. How do you determine what one person's financial security really is?
3: Well, you know, when we sit down with people for the first time and we're learning about them, it's what we call our discovery phase of our kind of, if you will, interview process to help people work through this. You know, that's where we learn what's important to them, what they're going to do during their retirement years, what they you know, anticipate they're going to need to spend. We look at budgeting and all that sort of thing. And that's where we start to really determine what they're going to need and how to develop a plan based on their risk tolerance, giving them the ability to have the income that they want and be able, like you
1: said, to sleep at night. And financial security, I think, on a basic level, it really comes down to affording basic needs, and that is, you know, housing, food, health care, keeping the wolf away from the door. But for other people, financial security is something different. I would think that financial security, at least as far as I'm concerned, is the ability to sustain oneself for a period of time without having an income if that should happen. And I would think that that certainly does point to some investment choices and a little stockpile of money. What's your opinion on that?
3: Yeah, for sure, Jeff. We always want people to have, you know, emergency access money. You know, the roof is going to leak. Unfortunately, we're going to have a fender bender. A car is going to break down. A transmission is going to go out. Whatever these things are that come along, I think that's called life, right? Right, (laughs) right. When those things happen, we need to be sure that we have the ability to go somewhere to get that cash and be able to pay our way and get over that hump and uh, put it behind us and not have to relive it where we had to charge it on a credit card or something like that for a long time. I think that's a lot of what people want to make sure of. They just want to know that, hey, if maybe one of my kids has a problem or maybe I have a grandchild with an, with an issue that, uh, you know, maybe I can help out with that a little bit. Again, we're just looking for that thought process in the back of our mind and deep in our heart that says yep we're prepared we can handle just about any emergency that would come along
1: so for those people who are unsure whether they are financially secure let's talk about some steps that would get you financially secure i would imagine that you're going to start at the basics what's the first thing that we should evaluate if we wonder if we even are financially secure
3: yeah, so I think the first thing is really to take an inventory, which again is one of the things we do in our discovery meeting as well, is we sit down with people and we just want to you know, get to know them, and then we just take a financial inventory to see where they are so that we can start the process then of walking them through what a retirement plan looks like. And you know, many times we have people that are in here 10 years before retirement, many times it's five years, and then we have those that come in and say, hey, I'm retiring next month. You know, so all those different setups require a little bit of different parchment of how we do this, right? So, If you're within the last five years, you know, we're putting the finishing touches on retirement. We're also looking at what your income streams are going to look like to determine whether or not that actually makes sense for you. Because what makes sense for me, Jeff, may not make sense at all for you. And a lot of people have different takes on on what they want to do in retirement. But the first thing is we've got to get our current income. Look at what we actually have hitting the bank account because Mm -hmm. it looks like sometimes you're making a whole lot more money or taking a whole lot more money to the bank than you actually are when you just look at a bare bones salary versus looking at what social security is going to look like, looking at what it's going to look like to pull income off of your IRAs and other sources of income that you may have. Many, many times people look at that, they go, wow, okay, I didn't need as much money as I thought because I'm not paying certain expenses like social security tax, Medicare, Medicaid. I'm not funding my 401k at 15% per year. That sort of thing really makes a difference in the income they actually
1: need. So, financial security means different things to different people. And I think the first step in this process is to get an accurate picture of your current financial situation. And of course, that's going to come down to the money that you have at the bank, basically the investments that you have. It's also going to be taking stock of debts. You talked about having an emergency fund. And for me, financial security means having an emergency fund of three to six months. And I leaned a little bit more towards six months of disposable income. And that is income that is uh, very, very liquid. What What's your opinion on that? Would you recommend three to six months or are you a little closer to six or where do you stand on that? What's your advice that you give to people as far as emergency cash goes?
2: You know, Jeff, I think definitely having a minimum of three to six months is good. I think... In this area, we have a lot of people that are used to having quite a bit more than that cash on hand, and that is perfectly fine. Everybody requires a little bit different amount based on what makes you comfortable. I think three to six months is a good baseline, but we have a lot of people that that would prefer to have a year or some even longer than that, and that is totally fine. And that's a little bit on a a person-by-person basis.
1: And I think the feeling that if you have liquid cash, and I'm talking about just cash in a checking account these days, I mean, you know, 0.01% that it is paying. But there are actually ways that you can save emergency fund cash and get more than just a 001 interest rate on that and still have it relatively liquid. What are some of the tools that you may look at there? So, you know, Jeff, you make a good point. If we look back over our shoulder, starting
3: back in March of 2022 is when Jerome Powell, our Federal Reserve Chairman, started raising interest rates. And prior to that, man, it was a long, hard fight to find a half percent interest rate on a money market account, right? Right, right. Well, today, with him raising rates over the last year, about 5%, you know, now we can go out and get some decent rates. You still have to shop for it. And if you got money just parked at a bank that you've had it there for a very long time, we're still seeing people walk in with money market accounts at a half percent, at 0.20. You're going to have to ask for that. The bank's just not going to come forward and give it to you because any of that money that they can get, see, before March of 2022, banks could go to the Federal Reserve and borrow money for nearly zero. That's why they were not willing to pay you and I much money, Jeff, when we deposited money into their institution. Well, now if they can borrow that money back at what the Fed, Ed would charge them for it. That's why they are now offering much better rates on CDs and money market accounts because they're looking to borrow that money for a little less and keep that as an extra margin for them as they go out and reloan the money that we deposit into money market accounts and CDs and that sort of thing.
1: Would you say that if you have credit card debt and you're going into retirement, you're in retirement, that maybe that is the number one thing that you try to knock off?
3: I would say so, Jeff. In many cases, we're seeing that you know credit card debt is 20%, 20, 22 24% in a lot of cases for right. folks. Now, there are some of those folks that have been able to effectively revolve that credit card from credit card to credit card and keep that interest rate at zero for a while. But again, eventually, you're going to have to pay the piper there. So I would say that credit card debt or high interest rate debt is one of the first things we need to get past because many times what you're ending up doing is you're paying a high monthly payment that affects your cash flow drastically that maybe the bill is not very much that's actually out there. and We want to go ahead and take, uh, let's say that you got a $5,000 credit card balance. Right. And let's say that you're having to pay, trying to pay it down. You're trying to pay maybe $200 a month on it or something like that. Well, $5,000, even if I earned 10% per year, only makes me $500 a year in cash flow. So to improve my monthly cash flow, I'd be much better off to spend $5,000, get that thing off my plate, quit paying interest and, you know, go again, I'd just be much better off to do that. So in every case, we always want to look at what do we have? What makes sense to pay off first? How do we parlay the savings that we had to pay off maybe that next batch of debt? As far as car payments go, as interest rates have gotten higher, it's more of a concern. But I will say this, you know, I always figure that a family is probably going to have a car payment all along the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, If not, that's a great deal. Kudos to them. But for a lot of people, having a car payment so they can keep a newer car and and then one car that's maybe a little older, is something a lot of people will do. Again, everybody is different. There'll be a lot of people who say, I would never have a car payment in retirement. Sure. You know, some people have that option, some people don't, but we just meet each person kind of where they are and help them to navigate and, you know, build the best plan possible for them.
2: I think a lot of it, Randy, comes down to whether you have any savings outside of retirement savings. So if all you have is, is your 401k. There's a lot of people that do have a little bit of credit card debt and that kind of thing because they're funding their 401k so heavily. And obviously anything that comes out of the 401k has to be taxed. So we we need to be a little careful about just paying everything off. It's definitely something we want to talk about before we we go too far down that road. But if you have some money saved up in savings, you know, and you can easily eliminate 20% credit card or something like that, you know, that's definitely something you'd want to do.
1: We're talking about achieving financial security with Randy and Jake Floyd of Floyd Financial Group. And the question always comes up, should I or should I not have a mortgage in retirement? Let's say that somebody has a small amount left on their mortgage. Let's say that it's maybe $50,000, 75000 maybe $100,000. Do you advise people if they do have that cash to pay off that mortgage? Or is it okay to have a mortgage in retirement? So here's what I would say. In today's world, if you were one of
3: those folks that financed or refinanced your property in the last, looking back over our shoulder, from two years ago and back, where we were getting three and a half three two two and a half we had one couple that got a 1.99 30year mortgage wow if you have a really really low cost mortgage I would say there's really no reason to pay that off you're much better off to take that hundred thousand dollars let's say that you owe on it if you could even attain a five percent return you make five thousand dollars a year versus paying interest of maybe two to three thousand dollars per year so you do come out ahead now there are those folks that say well you know I really just don't like having the payment again if you have cash outside where it's not going to cost you a bunch of money. Meaning, let's say you take it from an IRA and you pull $100,000 out to pay your house off, coupled with your other income, that may put you at $150,000, $160,000 a year in income. You may end up paying 15 to 20% in taxes. So if you have to pay off $100,000, you may need 115 dollars or $20,000 pulled out of your retirement account to pay that off and then it really doesn't make sense because now you know i don't not only don't have cash to earn for me i mean it just we had to pay all those taxes and I don't know about you, Jeff, I don't want to pay taxes until I really have to. For me, a tax deferred is bliss.
1: I'm with you on that point, Randy. (laughs) Finally, I think one of the big steps to achieve financial security is to have insurance. Now, we have to have car insurance. Certainly, we have to have homeowner's insurance. Those are given. But I read an interesting article that 24% of Americans last year had to forego some medical treatments because they were worried about costs. So medical insurance, very, very important. How do you handle that for people, of course, people who are over 65 have Medicare, but how about those people who have retired early? How do we handle health insurance for them?
3: Yeah, so most of those people end up, there's a couple of options, they either go to the exchange, affectionately known as Obamacare, I guess actually called the Affordable Care Act, where they can go out and they can shop the exchange, plug in their income, how many in the household, and find out what their premium is going to be after they receive whatever their subsidy is going to be. Now I will tell you, for couples, if you haven't looked at it, you need to go out and really see what your subsidy might be and what kind of a plan you might be comfortable with. The other thing that people are doing a lot of today are these programs that are like this thing called MediShare. It's where organizations like a Christian healthcare organization or something goes together, and they are collectively sharing expense. It isn't insurance per se, but it's really no different than the insurance business the insurance business is based on the law of large numbers it says hey mm-hmm. if we have a whole bunch of people paying in the chances of everybody needing services all at once is not that great and therefore we can have you know a few less dollars being spent, then we're collecting and therefore we can build up a base to help pay people's insurance needs or health care needs when they come across them.
1: And I've talked to a number of people who have wanted to retire before the age of 65 and they say, well, I can't retire before 65 because how am I going to pay for health insurance? And I ask them, what do you think a year of your life is worth? Is a year of your life in your early 60s, is it worth $20,000? I said, well, it's worth way, way more than $20,000. Well, if you can afford to pay $20,000, for Health Insurance... I think you should go ahead and do that because your life in your 60s is worth a lot more than the cost of health insurance. We've been talking about financial security with Randy and Jake Floyd at Floyd Financial Group, and I think it all comes down to this. If you're unsure whether or not you are financially secure, you want to improve your situation, I would highly suggest that you get in and talk with Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group about designing a plan that will help you achieve financial security and put you on the roadmap to retirement. To get yours, again, there's no cost, no obligation. Most importantly, there is no judgment at floyd financial group all you've got to do is call 417-889-7233 to reserve your spot on the calendar 417-889-7233 you can also request it online at floydfinancialgroup.com it's floydfinancialgroup.com getting a retirement plan with randy and jake could make all the difference in the world towards your goal of financial security time for a break gentlemen we'll be right back with more of show me the money right here on 104.1 ksgf where springfield comes to talk if you're age 59 and a half or older with a 401k plan and still working, stop what you're doing and call Floyd Financial Group today at 877-889-PLAN. At 59 and a half, you're entitled to new opportunities in the investment world that can help save you thousands in 401k fees and dramatically reduce your risk of a market correction. You've worked and saved, and now's the time to protect your retirement savings. Call Ready Floyd to Floyd Financial Group today at 877-889-PLAN. That's 877-889-7526.
0: People of the Ozarks, step away from the fishing pole and prepare to be shown the money because we're back with more Straight Talk with Randy Floyd
3: welcome back everybody this is randy and jake you're listening to show me the money and in this segment we're going to be talking about well continuing in the financial security vein and we want to talk about this magical age of 59 and a half and the retirement red zone
1: that is right and the decisions that you make in the four or five years right after you hit that pivotal age Can have a very big impact on the rest of your retirement. So let's talk about this retirement red zone. We're calling it those ages right after 59 and a half. What is so hazardous about this time period? Well, Jeff, you know, if we look back over our shoulder, by
3: the time we reach 59 and a half, most of us will have been working probably 39 and a half years at least right right, right. <laughs> if we started at 20 you know full-time or maybe it was 22 we'd have still had 37 and a half years in and so as we look back over our shoulder if we started saving way back when or even if we didn't you know we have time on our side if we started even in our 30s or our 40s that we now don't have once we hit 59 and a half especially if you're going to try to retire any early maybe 65 but maybe you're going to be able to retire at 62 we're in that time frame where we 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 really can't make any mistakes and we can't allow the market and the things that we cannot control to put us in a situation where we cannot retire or where we might spend too much of our money early on in retirement, damaging our
1: retirement success long term. For a lot of people, I think, you know, this time of life is the peak of your financial curve when you're going to have the most money that you've ever had. But timing is very, very critical there. You've got to make sure that you make the right decisions because those decisions that you make during this really crucial period of time, this retirement red zone, could really impact the rest of your retirement. Is that a fair statement to say?
2: I agree that that's definitely a fair statement. I I also think that... One of the big things that we need to look at for somebody who is just getting ready to make the transition to retirement is we need to look at your risk profile overall. Uh, I'm not saying everybody would need to de-risk, but many, many people have been in accumulation mode for, like Randy said, 39 and a half years or something close to that, where they've been funding 401Ks, they've been saving money, and they've just been kind of throwing it in the stock market and it grow, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when you get ready to start taking money out, it's probably a good idea to assess how much risk you're taking, what your capacity is for risk-taking, and what your overall risk tolerance is because we need to make sure that you haven't saved and worked so hard only to have it blow up in your face if the market really gives us a hard way during that retirement red zone. And I think it's definitely worth looking at and saying, okay, here's how we're positioned. Here's where we're exposed. Here's what could happen in a bad scenario. And here's how we could take... Take some of that risk off the table, but still grow the money in the process.
1: And not only is this withdrawal time a major shift in your financial strategy, but it's also a major mindset shift, and most investors don't know how to make that transition. The other thing that occurs to me is that at 59 and a half, you can begin to make some withdrawals out of your retirement accounts without paying any penalties. That's right. Even if you're still working for your current employer too, you can roll that money out into
3: an individual retirement account which will give you lots more options as a general rule for your, you know, what you pick to invest in because many times all we have inside our 401k are you know, maybe two or three handfuls of mutual funds, and we really would like to have some other investment options. I think even Washington is starting to realize this, and they're starting to look at how they can incorporate some other th- investment vehicles, if you will, into 401k plans. So I think that's important to realize that you can do that, and you can really start to put the finishing touches. On your retirement portfolio.
1: And I think that most financial advisors, and I think people realize this, they're really trained in financial planning for the first half of life. And that would be the accumulation phase where they assess, you know, your risk tolerance and they put your money into appropriate risk adjusted investments and they're really trying to grow it. And, you know, that phase of life is not, I think, quite as complex as the second half of life. That is the area where, as far as a financial planner goes, really does require a lot more attention. And I think a good financial planner, going to be able to help you answer some really important questions about how to thrive through the retirement phase of your life. And the and the first one is, will I have saved enough? The second is, will my money last in retirement? Is my family accounted for in my plan? Do you find that people, after they have reached 59 and a half, or let's say that after they have retired, need a financial planner as much, if not more, after retirement than they did before retirement?
2: Yeah, Jeff, I think there's a lot of things that people don't consider that they're going to have to do and just various questions that are going to have to be answered that they've never really had to think about before. Whereas the average person (laughs) and most people will only retire one time. You know, we're helping multiple people every single week. You know, we're helping, you know, five to 10 people a week retire. And so we see a lot of things And we can help avoid some of the pitfalls when it comes to health insurance or social security or how much income to take and making sure beneficiary designations are correct. Do you need, you know, estate planning documents? Would that be something that would make sense to talk to an attorney about that kind of thing? We have a lot of knowledge about a lot of areas that the average person just doesn't deal with every day. And so I think there's a lot of value that can be brought from that. And also... Like we talked about earlier, when it comes to the distribution phase of money and how much money to withdraw, how much risk to take, we can also shed quite a bit of light on that and help mold. Each person is different. Each person has a different risk capacity and tolerance, and so it's not one size fits all. There's a lot of um, talking and a lot of things we'll go through. We want to understand you and what makes you tick and what you want to do in retirement. There's no point in having the same financial plan for an 80-year-old couple with, you know, four kids and 16 grandkids as it is for a 65-year-old couple that doesn't have any kids, wants to travel the world. You know, the plan is much different. You know, sometimes they're similar, but a lot of times they're very different. And sometimes people want to accelerate income early, right? So, you know, when's the best year? If you're over the age of 25, when's the next best 10 years of your life going to be? Mm-hmm. The next 10, right? You know, regardless of how old you are, most likely. So, some people when they retire, they say, "Hey, I want to live at large for the first five or 10 years, and then you know we'll be okay taking an income cut after that." And we can design plans around that. So it's really just a pretty individual thing, but we can. Can help you navigate these things because we've seen a lot of it before and we can navigate these things without risking retirement itself.
1: In the accumulation phase of life, of course, you're making money and you're putting it into investments that grow as time goes on. Certainly, I would think that taxes are you know, one thing that you want to consider when you're in, in the accumulation phase. But then when you begin to cash all these investments out, when you get into the distribution phase, that certainly now these taxes are going to be due. That is probably a major, major factor in designing a retirement plan as far as taxes go. How do you minimize or mitigate taxes in retirement when you begin to take these withdrawals? And let's talk about that and the timing of these withdrawals, whether or not they can affect your tax bracket and situation.
3: Yeah, sure, Jeff. So depending on what kind of assets people have saved, whether they have money in bank accounts, savings accounts, CDs, all those things are tax current. And if they have a brokerage account that is a non-retirement account, those things are also tax current in many cases. It just depends on if you have long-term capital gains or short-term capital gains that might fall into taxation there. But beyond that, we have then all the retirement accounts. We also can have tax-free municipal bonds and all sorts of things that can come into play. So depending on what each person's setup is and what they've saved, it's going to determine their tax bracket in many cases. However, let me just say this, that for the most part, I would say that 75% of the money we see come through the front door here is generally in a 401k and not a Roth. It's a traditional meaning that you saved all that money pre-tax. And so when you take it out, you're going to pay taxes on that money. So one of the things we look at is distribution strategies, like you said, that will help us to kind of navigate that. So sometimes people say, well, you know, I really want to pay off my house. And so we sit down and we go, okay, let's talk about paying off your house. So you owe 100,000 on it. You have 100,000 in retirement income. So that's going to put you to 200,000. So on that extra 100,000 that you pull out, you're now going to spend 27 28% of that so we have to put another 28,000 on top of that with you know what you've already you know you're paying for in taxes i'm just saying it's sometimes not worth it you know every time we start looking at how to pull money out of a retirement account what we're really looking at is tax brackets how much money do you need for income What's your tax bracket and do we creep into the next one? Are we going to have to creep into the next one to pay something off? If so, let's do that with a thought process in mind, you know, rather than just doing it off the cuff.
2: Yeah, and I think that's something we can definitely talk about when you come in for your initial consultation. If these are things that you would like to explore, we can definitely show you, say, okay, here's what it would take to pay the house off. Here's how much it would cost you in taxes. We will make a recommendation as to whether we think that's a good idea or not, but ultimately it's your money. We are not going to tell you, hey, you can't do that. You know, you, know, <laughs> you worked a long time. America, at least at this point, is still a free country. And, uh, you know, I intend <laughs> to do everything in my power to keep it sure. that way way. And, uh, you know, you can do what you want with your money. But it's our job to just kind of be the financial Sherpa, if we can be right, right, and help navigate, help you have all the tools and knowledge to make the best decisions you can make.
1: Yeah, that caught me a little bit there, Jake, when you said America, at least for now, is a free country. (laughs) (laughs) I guess we can talk about that in future shows. Our program is called Show Me the Money with Randy and Jake Floyd. My name is Jeff Shade. Glad you could join us again this week. We've been talking about the retirement red zone those years right after age 59 and a half. If you'd like some help in uh, navigating that retirement red zone, of course, Randy and Jake did talk about that financial plan that you can get at no cost, no obligation, and certainly no judgment. To get yours, call 417-889-7233. It's 417 7233 No cost, no obligation, no judgment. Chance for you to sit down with Randy and Jake and really get individual answers to your individual situation. And remember, Randy and Jake are not going to be talking about product in that first meeting at all because they don't know you. We just want to find out who you are and consequently you can find out who they are and determine whether it is a good fit. So why don't you get on the calendar sooner than later 417-889-7233. Ashley can find a spot for you when you want to come in. You can also request your plan online at floydfinancialgroup.com It's floydfinancialgroup.com Time for a break. We'll be right back with a final portion of our show right after this here on 104.1 FM KSGF where Springfield comes to to talk. Are you giving your Social Security dollars back to the government? It happens every day to people who don't have an effective Social Security strategy. The right plan for accessing your Social Security benefits can mean tens of thousands of dollars to you and your spouse's retirement income. Don't make the costly mistake of being unprepared in retirement. Call Floyd Financial Group now for a free Social Security Optimization Report. Take advantage of proven strategies to help maximize your Social Security benefits. Call 877-889-PLAN today to learn more. 877-889-7526.
0: Ready for a heapin' helping of some more real talk? Thought so. Here's another serving of Show Me the Money.
2: Welcome back to Show Me the Money. I'm Jake Floyd, and in this segment, we're going to be talking about claiming Social Security. When's the right time to do it, and what are some of the things we need to be thinking about before we claim?
1: That's right, Jake, and some myths about Social Security still are quite prevalent, and that is that, you know, if I wait until age 70, I'm going to get the most amount of money. Well, to some extent, that is true, but really, it isn't true on another account, because if you take it at age 70, as opposed to, let's say, the earliest that you could take it, is age 62 you're giving up eight years of social security benefits but let's not start there let's start with first of all how important it is to make this decision and get it right for the people uh, right here in the last basket of sanity springfield social security makes up about what percentage of their overall retirement income would you say
2: You know, I think for a lot of people, it's close to half. There's some people that it's more like 20, 30 percent. But, you know, Social Security is a big portion of people's retirement income. And so, like you said, Jeff, it's important to make the right decisions. I will say that, you know, people say, well, when's the right age? to file for social security and to that I usually respond if you can tell me the exact day you're going to die I can exactly when to file for social security so obviously nobody knows that so we are a little bit handcuffed when it comes to social security I'd say a good rule of thumb is when you're going to retire and stay retired you should almost always be filing for social security. And there's several reasons for that. Number one, if you're not going to actually retire, there's no reason to turn it on at 62 because if you're earning... More than thousand or so dollars a year, you're going to have to start paying back into Social Security. So there's no reason to turn it on at a lower amount just to have to pay it back. But let's say you're going to retire at 62. There's very few cases where it doesn't make sense to go ahead and turn on Social Security. The way we look at it is, let's say you have enough money and savings to do that, even enough in savings to not turn on Social Security right away. You're still spending your money with which you have great flexibility. Versus spending Social Security with which we have no flexibility once we, once we turn it on. So I don't want to defer Social Security to make it bigger at the expense of spending my cash down. Mm-hmm. I would much rather turn on Social Security and keep as much cash as possible so that I have the most options as retirement unfolds.
1: And you had mentioned an earnings cap there. If you're going to be taking Social Security before full retirement age, the earnings cap this year, 2023, $21,240. And what that means is that if you make more than that in W-2 wages, that you will have to give back a dollar for every $2 that you make over the uh, figure of $21,240. So that is something to consider when taking Social Security before full retirement age. When it comes to that decision, there are basically three ages that i I consider. One, of course, is the earliest, which is 62. Second is full retirement age, which is between the ages of 66 and 67, depending upon what year you were born. For a lot of folks listening, it's probably about 66 and a half, 66 and four months, something like that. And then there is the age of 70. A lot of people take Social Security at age 62, getting a lesser benefit. What are some of the circumstances that you would go ahead and take it at age 62? I would imagine that longevity is probably one of those things if you don't think you're going to live long.
2: Yeah, I mean, longevity plays into it. But it, but again, a lot of times for us, it comes down to having the options. And so let's say that you're looking at taking Social Security at 62 versus for a round number, let's say your full retirement age is 67. Right. Because I've run this calculation so many times, I can tell you that it will take roughly, if we defer and take Social Security at 67, that's five years of income. That I'm giving up, right? Because mm-hmm. between sixty-two to 67. And so that I, I know that based on the calculation, how it works, it's somewhere between 11 and 13 years to get even after 67 to make up all that income you missed, right? So that means you have to live to be 78 years old just to get even. Now, a lot of people are going to live to 78. I'm not saying they're not. But when would you rather have that money to spend? Would you rather have it when you're 85? Yeah. Or would you rather have it at 65 when you can spend that money the way you want to? You're physically able still to do the things that you want to do and travel or go fishing or whatever it is that you want to do in retirement. Most people would rather have that money sooner rather than later. I mean, there's also exogenous risk of who knows what Congress is going to do right. with Social Security. You know, there's definitely a 20% potential cut on the table that Congress has been talking about cutting benefits 20%. I'm not saying I think that's going to happen. I think that's going to be very difficult to cut people's Social Security benefits that are already taking it. I think it's, it is possible, though, that if you have already elected, you would be grandfathered in, but cut people that have not filed yet By 20%, which would be another incentive to go ahead and file, right? I'm not saying that's the way it's going to play out. I'm just saying that is one way it could play out. And that's how the government historically likes to tackle things, which is saying, well, everything that's happened to this point, let's not worry about. Let's just look for what happens looking
1: forward, you know, so we usually like to take a bird in
2: the hand versus two in the bush. Right,
1: right. Me too, as far as that goes. And, you know, some other factors to consider when figuring out when you're going to take Social Security, especially if you're going to do it earlier. As you said, health is one of those things. If your health is poor and maybe you're not going to be able to work until full retirement age or you're not going to live much beyond that, that is one factor in determining whether or not you take Social Security early. And another one, although we are in a rather robust job market right now, is a job loss. If you just have no other income, Go ahead and take it at age 62, but keep in mind that if you do find a job or part-time job that you do have that earnings cap. Now, when you do take Social Security, uh, it is taxed. So let's talk about that a little bit. If you're still working and taking Social Security, and let's say that you're making under that $21,240, does that put you at risk in bumping your uh, tax bracket to a higher bracket because you're also having to account for Social Security income on top of the $21,240?
2: It definitely can, and there's a a lot of factors that are going to go into that, Jeff, because you you, you may have a spouse that's still working, you know, and that even brings up some potential tax solutions of married filing separately versus married filing jointly, depending on the situation, to save the taxes on Social Security. Again, I don't want to get way super deep into the weeds here on on taxation, but yes, that's a good point, Jeff. There's a lot of other factors tax-wise to consider when considering whether or not to turn on Social Security. The other thing I would say, too— is if you, you are work, there are people out there that do like their job. <laughs> you know, I think that, yep. I think we see a lot of people that don't like their job, but there are people out there that are like, you know, I don't know what I would do if I stopped working. I want to mm-hmm. keep working. This is who I am. This is what I enjoy. If you're going to keep working and you're making good money, there's no reason to turn on Social Security. Certainly not to just have to pay it back and get taxed on it again and all that. You know, so I'm not saying there's no reason to turn it on later. I'm just saying that if you're retired... Usually that's the day that really makes the difference. So let's say you're 64 and you say, hey, I want to go ahead and retire. I just can't take it anymore. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, at 64, you get more than you would at 62. It ticks up in between and you can do all sorts of different estimates. But if you retire and you're saying, I'm not going to go back to work, I'm ready to to take my 401k, roll it over, start taking income. It's usually, again, 90 plus percent of the time. It's going to make sense to go ahead and turn on Social Security to make sure that you you, again, like we said before, keep as many options as possible and not spend the retirement savings down too quickly.
1: Jake, for many people listening to the program, they may be married. And I would think that that plays into the decision as well, too, as to when you take Social Security, because there are such things as survivor's benefits. The uh, person left behind or the second to die in a relationship often receives the uh, other person's Social Security benefits. So in that case, I would imagine, tell me if I'm wrong, that waiting until age 70 could be a benefit because you're going to just get more money and that more money is then going to go to the second to die.
2: Yeah, so there are situations, like you said there, Jeff, where, and again, I, w- I want to make sure I'm clear that I'm not making blanket statements saying, hey, do this. You know, uh, Each person's situation is very different, but Yes, Jeff. there are situations where you could have a significant age gap between spouses. Right. Um, there's situations where you could have maybe the man was the main breadwinner and has a pension, doesn't have a ton of retirement savings, but he has a big pension that you can lean on to defer Social Security comfortably, which would then create kind of almost an insurance-like policy for the, the spouse who likely has quite a lot less Social Security in that situation so that if something happens to him... She's still well taken care of. So yeah, these are all things that we will take into consideration. But but the the situations can be so varied that it's hard to cover, you know, every possible situation on the show, but that's why we offer our free consultation for you to come in and again in that first meeting a lot of times we're just going to we're just going to ask you a lot of questions and say, "Hey, who are you? What's important to you? Tell us about your family. You know, maybe you don't have a lot of family. Who do you want to get your stuff when you're gone? How important is it to leave them a legacy? You know, do you want to shop at Goodwill and save up money? Or do you want to have your last check bounce? You know, those types of questions. (laughs) And after we kind of get an idea of who you are and what's important to you, then we can go to the drawing board and say, okay, you know, here's some strategies and some tools we could use to accomplish those goals. And then usually at the second meeting we'll come back and say hey you know here's what we think. Even at that second meeting we're not going to look for any kind of a decision. We're going to say hey here's what we think. Here's some ways we could we could approach you know retirement. And then we'll say hey you know go home and think about it, pray about it. You know we encourage people to pray. Right. If that's something that you do and and really uh, you know if it's not right for you I don't want you to do business with us. We want to make sure that we have a good fit between who you are, what's important to you, your goals and values. And again, our approach is not for everyone, but if you want to have a secure retirement and you want to really have have a conservative approach to retirement and make sure that things are going to last and that you have a good plan, a good track to run on, those are some places where we can usually help.
1: Very well said, Jake. You took the words right out of my mouth. Social security certainly is one form of income in retirement, but I think in order to be financially secure, we've talked about that on today's program, you've got to have a plan. And Jake really talked a lot about what that plan involves. The first step there is going to be the discovery process, and that's finding out who you are, what's important to you, what your goals and your values are, and designing a plan that's going to get you where you want to go. Of course, our plan is at no cost and no obligation and certainly no judgment. If you'd like to take advantage of this rare opportunity to get in and sit down with somebody like Randy and Jake at Floyd Financial Group with no obligation whatsoever, call 417-889-7233. Get on the calendar to get your plan. Ashley out there at the front has got a few slots available for you. May as well take yours. 417-89-7233 or you could also request your plan online by going to floydfinancialgroup.com It's floydfinancialgroup.com Jake, we're out of time for this week. I want to thank you for your time but most of all, thank the fine people here of the last bastion of sanity, Springfield, Missouri. For Randy and Jake, I'm Jeff Shade. I'm going to get out on the lake, do a little bass fishing this weekend. I want you to have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Again next week with another edition of Show Me the Money right here on 104.1 FM KSGF, where Springfield
0: comes to talk.